Ace Podcast. This isn't your old Spider-Man. This is your new Spider-Man. Blood and Black Rum Podcast presents Spider-Man Homecoming. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from the Moon is Dead World.net, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Um, pretty good, actually. Doing pretty well. We've uh, got a cool show for you today because we're talking about the newest Marvel film that's in theaters right now, Spider-Man Homecoming. It's pretty uh, pretty entertaining. And uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later on in the show. But just, You just ruined the whole review right there by giving it away right from the get-go. No, that's not a... When I say it's pretty entertaining, Game that could one. mean like, well, I, I thought it was kind of fun, but it actually was... actually Quality-wise, it sucks. Or it could also be... Um, oh, no, you know what? It's it's fantastic, and I love it. And, you know, it, it could be either or. You never you know. Gave it away already. I didn't give it away. You gave no, it away. No, but anyway, that's what the introduction is supposed <laughs> to do. It's supposed to entice. Hook. Supposed to get those listeners in. It's like, well, I'm thinking about tuning out. I'm not a huge fan of Spider-Man. And oh, then, wait a second. And then it's entertaining. But then you no, then you play a little blues trailer hook, and then, then it brings them back. That's true. That's true. A little ball tease. I like my nice 1994 alt-rock reference. Yeah, that was for all, nice. For all you youngins out there. Fantastic. Everybody's like, who's that? You know, but no, but that goes no, but that goes perfectly because our intro, for those who suffered through it, yep. you might have turned that off, because the, <laughs> the, yeah. the intro is Nickelback, and for the first uh, Spider-Man movie, Nickelback had, you know, the lead song for it, Hero. Yeah. It, and you didn't even remember it, I remember I, that being a, a pretty pretty big thing back in the day. I didn't remember it, no. Um, and if you're listening, please don't tell Nickelback, because they'll be all over us. <laughs> For the copyright infringement, I'm sure. I still love the video of them like at a concert in like Spain or Portugal, and the crowd's booing them. And like, you guys want to rock or not? And someone throws a rock and hits Chad Kroger right in the head. <laughs> I remember that. And then they walk off stage. I remember they it's did play great. a truncated show that day. Yeah. yeah that was but amazing. No, but no, like, that's something we're kind of missing from today's films, like modern pop and rock acts being associated. Yeah, because they used to do that quite a bit. Scream like, three with Creed. Yeah, everything. What if? Yeah, re- remember that because they put on the VHS. I remember featuring the the, the music video, music video yeah, from Creed. Yeah, me, myself, and that, Irene. Those had... are like the original like extras. Yeah, for, for you D- know before DVD DVDs and Blu-ray, it was like really took what's off. the extra on the VHS tape? Like at the end of the film. Yeah, know, fast forward all the way to see Creed singing the theme song. Or for, this for show. Uh, me, myself, and Irene had Foo Fighters learning to fly. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, you remember those better than I do. Oh, I, I, want, remember, I love that. Song, I don't remember so. any of the shitty. And I used to love like Creed as a kid. So yeah, um, P- uh, Little Nicky had Pod. 
Can't remember what P.O.D. song. They had P.O.D. I have no idea. I really don't. But all we know is that for Nickelback, um, for the original Spider-Man is actually not a bad film. And looking back on it. Did it come out before X-Men or was... I, I Which one was first? Because is X-Men and X-Men or Spider-Man that really got the boom? I think they came out in the same year. I can't remember which one came first, but they both were really successful. And, like, see, you can really do comic book movies well because um, a lot of people, well, they don't, I wouldn't say forget because a lot of people. Um, yeah, X-Men came first, by yeah, the way. But, 2000, and then Spider-Man followed up in 2002. Okay, so. But, I mean, a lot of people thought after Batman and Robin was such a debacle, it's like, can't can't do comic book movies anymore. They're not profitable. Right. They're, you know, shit shows. Yeah. And then X-Men and, and it came out and it was a great success. And then you had, it, you know, Spider-Man. And after Batman and Robin, that's pretty much where I dropped off as, in terms of my birthday parties going to see <laughs> superhero films for a while. Yeah, you took us to Fantastic yep. Four, though. I did. Yeah, that was the next big thing. It was like, oh, Spider-Man, X-Men doing well. Let's go to Fantastic Four. That was still a couple of years. That was like, even after Spider-Man 2. It was, yeah. Yeah, it, was, it took a while. But the, that original Spider-Man is actually a pretty fun film. Um, I still like it. Yeah. I think I think Tobey Maguire was pretty, you know. Pretty, you know. Pretty good in it. Yeah, no, I think he is, too. I, I, liked, I, I, I like Tobey Maguire. I do. Yeah, I'm from from what I've seen him in, I haven't seen him in a whole lot of things, but uh, you know, the Spider-Man movies except well, for Spider-Man mean, 3, which is very moody and and well, Pop Emo was yeah, thing at the time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, but um no, well, you got to see him in Pleasantville, which is also the great Jeff Daniels and William H. Macy mm-hmm. uh vehicle. But um no, I thought Tommy McGuire was really good in those films. I thought he like uh played like a pretty good like Kind of older Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's pretty much the uh, the idea with that Spider-Man is that it's a it's an older Peter Parker. It's a he's high school a, age Peter Parker. But he, we can tell it's like the whole thing. Like, oh, he's like seventeen, but he's actually twenty eight. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, like uh, like it's Saved by the Bell. It's like, oh, what are these thirty year old kids doing in school still? But yeah. um, but no, I thought you know Tobey Maguire in the original Spider-Man was really good, and I thought Willem Dafoe. It was great. Yeah. Screen Goblin. Always always a good always Hamming good it up, but it was a lot of fun. But no, I still have like fond memories of Spider Man and X Men. You know, they were pretty good. X Men X two I thought was good. I thought Spider Man two was good. Then X three was crap and Spider Man three was crap and Fantastic Four was crap and Hulk was crap and you know, it took Took, took a while. For took them, a while, so. you know, until, you know, Batman, you know, begins came around for things to, you know, like, alright. Yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. But for, but for a while, it's pretty strong. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they did it. They had a number of good films. I think the Spider-Man series was part of that. Um, it was a surprising success, I think. And even, you know, looking back on it, um, it's surprising that they rebooted Spider-Man so quickly after that original trio of films because I'm not because Hulk got rebooted like within yeah. two years. Yeah, well, that was a different story because the one, the first Hulk film, not good. Next Hulk film, also not good. So Edward Norton, though I love him, think he's an amazing actor. Kind of miscast, probably as <laughs> Bruce Banner in the second one. Yeah, I can't remember who played Hulk in the first one. I, I don't remember that either. I don't know. And then you have Mark Ruffalo now, who's like, I'm Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo can do anything. That's why. Like, just 
bland Mark Ruffalo, as he always does. Just like, hi, I'm Mark Ruffalo. I don't know. I like Mark Ruffalo. Him in, uh, like, the new, like, uh, Marvel films just reminds me of him, like, in Shutter Island. Like, what's going on, boss? Yeah. How's it going, boss? Yeah. Okay, boss. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> just like, just kind of, you know, kind of there. Yeah. But I didn't see The Amazing Spider-Mans because I was like, I don't fucking care. I did. I saw the first Amazing Spider-Man. I didn't see the second one. Um, but again, I felt like The Amazing Spider-Man was actually a pretty good film. And so you had these two different uh, film franchises, really. Regular Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. And technically they're different. One's Mary Jane. One's Gwen Stacy. So there are... There's a, there's a there's a little bit of a difference there between them, but it is really surprising that first of all they went to they they rebooted them so quickly, and then secondly now we have a third venture into Spider Man territory. So it wasn't but that, but, it's not, right, but it, at the same time it's not weird because again it's only been a couple of, like you know it hasn't even been oh well, it has been ten years since mm-hmm. the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. but I mean when they were planning that shit out like. Only five years after, like, hey, everyone loves the Nolan movies. Guess what? Affleck's your Batman now. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think if something, like, they'll keep doing it now until it can't make money anymore. If it flops, they'll just say, okay, we're going to reboot it again. True. Like, it didn't go, like, we made we still made money, but not as much as we thought. So we'll just be like, all right, we'll, you know. Well, I don't think Spider-Man Homecoming has anything to worry about in that sense. It's making money and it's doing really well critically. And it's part of the already established Marvel Universe. So I don't think it has any worries there. Um, at the same time, I think that it does a really good job of a soft reboot, which we'll talk about as we get into the actual film discussion. But it's a soft reboot. And on the last episode, you know, in our outro, when we were talking about the next film that we're going to cover, we were saying we we're going to do Spider Man Homecoming. We both expressed concern that this is yet another re- reboot in the Spider-Man franchise. We were hoping that there's no sort of backstory. Like, we don't need any more backstory about how S- Peter P- Parker gets to be Spider-Man. But, uh, the, but What makes sa- him that? But at the same time, though, you, you have, I guess you could say, I'd say that was a mild concern for me. Because, again, it's already part of the Marvel canon, which has been going on for over a fucking decade now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, at this, like, I don't have concern. Like, they already got it mapped out and kind of know where to go. I mean, Grant, would this film be less enjoyable if it was like, okay, this is how Spider-Man becomes, you know, Spider-Man type thing. Yeah. Yeah, then it would, you know, because then it's like, all right, we're set in the present day, but then, like, like what Wonder Woman essentially did. Right, is with, go back in time and which show is, Which the... is literally, like, it didn't do anything to set up Justice League. It didn't do anything to set up, you know, like, the next Batman film or anything. It's just like... Okay, because we got to kind of, you know, Gal Gadot was just in, you know, Batman v Superman. How did we kind of get people interested to, to in see that. Wonder Woman? In, well, we got to do her backstory. And it's just right. like her having a flashback. Like, oh, look at all my dead friends <laughs> from World War One. Yeah. You know, um, ta-da. I, I mean, I think that Spider-Man Homecoming would have been worse if it had done the whole backstory thing. We don't need to see it all over again. I think it's... Pr- even people who don't follow comics or don't know Spider-Man very well... I Someone's think- going to be next to them who can just be like... Right, yeah, is- right. <laughs> I, think, I think that there's enough of uh, that backstory already all, all around them that they would at least know... Okay, Peter Parker got bitten by a radioactive spider, and now he's Spider-Man. You don't really need to know any more. And than they men- that. they do mention that very briefly. Yeah, 
But it's it's there, you know. And I think even, you know, the whole Uncle Ben storyline where that really sets him, Peter Parker into motion as a, a character who is driven to stop crime in, in his small town. I don't even think small that's really, well, <laughs> small... T- Queens? New York City, yeah. Small town, Ryan, yeah. Well, considering that... Jo- John Mellencamp singing, you know, small town well, there. Well, considering that... Throughout most of it, Peter Parker wants to be an Avenger working across the world. It is technically a small town considering he would be working worldwide rather than just regular in New York City. So it's it is in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Um But I think that that's not even needed. Why like, help kids in fucking like Lithuania when you know the aliens and shit are always gonna be attacking things like New York City? He's at ground zero. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, but I think, like, Uncle Ben, that that story's not needed at all. Because what would there's Uncle enough... Ben... I, I am thinking, like, what would Uncle Ben look like in this timeline? Yeah, because... Who is married to Marissa be, right, Tomei? Because we need a, a Marissa Tomei husband. It's probably someone, like, frumpy, too. I don't know. I hope they... I, I can... I No, I think, like, she'd be, like, married to some, like, chud of a person. Like, <laughs> he just has such a great... like Because... Well, and also because she sees the best in everybody. Like, as how she's they got those, out to be. Because she's got those Sally Jesse Raphael glasses. He, exactly. You know? Like, they, they they wanted to make her look kind of frumpy, even and again, though she's got a banging ass. And, and, and again, what a nice early 90s reference that is for all you kids out there. Yeah. Sally Jesse Raphael, but... She looks amazing. Before we even get like into the actual, <laughs> before we even get she, into the she show, lo- she looks great for her age. I would never guess she's like in her early fifties. Mm-hmm. Never. No, I mean I think that she does look great, and that was a, a big concern with like Spider-Man: Homecoming too, as she was cast, and it's like, well, no, because Aunt May. That, no, that was brought up in the Avengers. It was, yeah, but it was a big. I mean, it's a big decision to have Marissa Tomei being Aunt May, but it works because is he, everybody's younger in this than they generally would be in a Spider-Man. Now, my big question is, how are they, now I'm thinking about, like, how are they related? Because, like, he was constantly throughout the film just calling her May instead of Aunt May. Mm-hmm. So, like, is, is <laughs> she, like, some, like, distant relative where he's like, oh, yeah, like, she's pressing her tits up against me. I don't know. That's okay. I don't know the relationship. Like, I want to say, by the way, wow, what a shot for that news article was. It's like, here's Marissa Tomei's tips. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know the specific, um, the relationship between them. I'm assuming she is just his aunt and it looks like it is. Her last name's Parker. It's, it's possible that. I just found it weird he was always just calling her May instead of, you know. I guess maybe it's just like a contemporary thing. Like, don't worry about, um, don't worry about the, uh. Formality? The formality of calling me aunt because I'm the cool aunt, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they chose to format it like that, but whatever. I'm down with it. Didn't bother me any. Makes me want to watch My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to take a break real quick. We're going to come back and we're going to do our beer talk. Because um, we got two beers to, to talk about on this episode of the, of the Four. cast. Four? We had two over the weekend. Uh, that's true. I don't know if you, didn't know if you wanted to bring them up on here or not. Well, they could just be a quick mention. Quick mention. Uh, so we got f- four beers to talk about uh, when we return from the break. Um, you sounded flabbergasted. Uh, you were stunned. I didn't even, actually, didn't even really remember the weekend. So, <laughs> no. Well, um, glad I took that day off. That's right. Can you no, remember? 
Uh, so we'll be back in just a second. Uh, but first, a word from a podcast friend. Hey there, neighbor. It's me, Head Librarian Gavin. I co-head librarian the Red Light Library, that erotic-only library off 2nd Street. Yeah, you know the one. Hey, did you know we're running a podcast now? That's right. And the thing is, we're reviewing the worst erotica we can find online for money, and I've been reading about a lot of weird things banging lately. Like, I could just sit here and tell you about the snowman, the leprechaun, the psychic Utah raptors that start an orgy, the questionable lesbian with the applesauce scene that's really disgusting, and oh, the Donald Trump. Or you could just Listen yourself. Use your favorite podcatching app or look us up on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. We're all over the place. The Red Light Library. Search it. You'll get us. Now for why I'm really here. Can I borrow your chainsaw again? We've tracked down an overdue book in someone's car and we need to retrieve it with, shall we say, extreme measures. All right, so we're back and we've got some a couple of beers on the podcast today. Um, and the ones that, that, you can tell by that slur by Ryan, <laughs> he's had a couple. That's already. right. And, uh, the two that we have on the podcast today are, they both happen to be juicy IPAs. One of them, literally. Uh, no, but I mean, both of them are literally juiced IPAs. Mm, and one of, the name of the other one. <laughs> one of them is Dogfish Head's Flesh and Blood IPA, which is a blood orange style IPA. And I know that when I picked it up, you weren't enthused. No. You weren't, you did not want to really have this on the show because you're sick of IPAs at this point. Mainly mainly West Coast IPAs. You're being a big old grump about them. I'm sick of West Coast IPAs. (laughs) There's nothing different, nothing that uh, sticks out about them. They're all the fucking same. Interestingly, one... Uh, beer that we did not do on the show, which I had last week, was the um, Centennial IPA that uh, Founders makes. And you were adamant that you were not going to be drinking the Centennial IPA every time that I had it. No. And it's the same with the Flesh and Blood IPA. You gave me a little bit of an attitude that I got it. I picked it up. And you said they're all the same. Yeah, pick something different. Well... The Dogfish Head Blood, uh, Flesh and Blood IPA, I think, is a pretty good IPA, although you're right when you say that the Blood Orange does not come out very much at all. No, I'm right. And I feel bad for going back to the Centennial IPA. I feel bad because I love Founders. Mm-hmm. But I am fucking sick of the West Coast IPA. No matter what you try doing to it, it tastes like a West Coast IPA. You're not doing anything to it that makes it differentiate because the hop taste and the hop character is so overwhelming whatever you try shoving in there just isn't gonna work we talked about before in a previous episode when we did sierra nevada sidecar which is like west coast ipa with like orange and tangerine couldn't fucking taste it tastes like a fucking ipa Mm -hmm. it's very pissy disappointing and pisses me off don't fucking like you may have put it in there but it doesn't fuck you didn't get a right balance to it um, and I would say the same thing about Dogfish Head. Again, I like their beers, but I'm fucking sick. I'm sick of the fucking West Coast IPA. This literally tastes like a West Coast IPA. There's nothing that st- stands out that makes you like, oh, there's hints of blood orange at the end. It's so barely noticeable. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, I'm drinking their 60-minute IPA. Not a bad beer, but again, it's like, you're not fucking, again, you're not fucking doing 
what you're trying to set out to do, that's make a different take and variety on it. I mean, I think it's that, not like it's noticeable. Like if you're drinking like a black IPA, you can tell it's a fucking black IPA or a white yeah. IPA. That you can tell if at least with a white IPA, if done right, it tastes like a you know a mix of a Belgian wheat and an IPA. Just adding a random fruit character to it doesn't work. And yeah, I, so and so to me, the, like I said, it's a disappointment. It's a waste of money. I think I, the fruit character at this point has become such a staple of the regular IPA in general. That, With the hot notes? Yeah, that you don't get as much of a noticeable flavor out of it when you're adding more citrus to it. So in this case, with the blood say, orange... Like, like the hops they use for West Coast IPAs are already citrusy as it is. So it's not like whatever right. you put in there... Like, if you put a fruit in there, it can't be citrusy. It has to be something different. Uh... Yeah, I agree. I And I think we do see that a little bit, in that uh, there is something that's a little bit different about the other beer that we have on the show today. Um, and that's the Sam Adams rebel juiced IPA, which I got cause no one had Zima. That's true. We were looking for Zima. We've been looking for Zima and there's no Zima to be found around us. I saw it once and I didn't think to get it. Cause I thought like, Oh, it's back. And Same. I saw I it didn't once. Know, I didn't know it was going to be out for a weekend and then, you know, fucking gone <laughs> and then gone. But we have the uh, Sam Adams Rebel Juice IPA on here. We've had a couple of other Rebels on the show, but we've never had the Rebel Juice IPA. And so Martin got it to try it because, I mean, we we want to try them all. Um, I think the only, the only one we haven't had on is the Rebel Rouser. Mm. We've had the regular Rebel, the Grapefruit, the Session Rebel, and this. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think we're missing that one. But the Rebel Juice IPA... Um, has a mango f- uh, infusion in it, and mango juice, mango juice infusion. Yeah, and I think that the in this case, the mango really comes out. I mean, you can't say that you can't taste the mango in this. No, you can, but I think to a fault. They, it's, it's almost like a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how much like you can like the ju- or almost the- shandy like too. Sh- shandy too. Um, you know. Like a cocktail or shandy, that's how much, like, the juicy mango presence is in this beer. Which, I'm not I'm not saying I'm, like, the biggest fan of. Because, I, again, I, I think mango and an IPA can work great if you balance it right. Because we have had, like, you know, grapefruit IPAs and such on here before that have a good balance. That, you know, or, like, with, like, what we had over the weekend with um, Adirondack's Tangerine Dream. Yes. That's a great balance between, you know... Pale ale and tangerine. You get both best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And this, I think they have so much of a strong mango juice character to it. It's totally mitigating whatever IPA you get out of Because on the bottle, it says it's 55 IBUs. You would not taste 55 IBUs out of this. You get no bitterness from this beer at all. In fact, I would say it's the juice mellows it so down to like, it's almost like not even like a session IPA. It's a session pale ale. Yeah. And. That's saying something, because it's 6% alcohol. Right. I think that the mango comes out quite a bit, and it may be to the detriment of the beer, because then that takes away from the the bitterness of the hops. It really doesn't mesh as it's well like, as it could. It's almost like you're drinking candy. and But I will say, I do like this more than I like the dogfish head, just because, okay, it doesn't work either, 
but it's not like it's I rather have it like overwhelming on the notes that they're supposed to be adding to like the style than not enough because if it's overwhelming you can at least enjoy like oh they tried this didn't work if it's underwhelming then it's like well why the fuck do you even you know bother trying to you know tinker yeah so I'll I'll give the like I'll say I'll, I like the rebel juice more just because it's something totally different like you it, it's like a hybrid sh- sh- like a hybrid shandy IPA and I will say that I like the dogfish head flesh and blood more than I, I mean like it's a better crafted IPA yeah the dogfish head but again I'm like I said I'm sick of west coast IPA true, See, true. They, nobody does nobody like again like all these brewers need to stop just I know it's popular and people like, like you know craft beer snobs love them like mm, yeah <laughs> Different. I can taste all seven hops in this beer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Noble and yeah. No, fucking stop. Get more creative. Do something different. You know, I will say that... I want to see Sam Adams do a fucking cream ale. Yeah. I want, know. you know, or something, you know. Something different. A dort. Yeah. Not everyone doing it in a West Coast IPA and a fucking goes. Because that's what's cool and hip and what sells in California. Yeah. Well, I will say that I think that um, Sierra Nevada does a better tropical IPA than this Rebel Juiced. Dude, I, I can't remember if I had that. I th- you did, yeah, and you you enjoyed it quite a bit. Because I th- I thought about picking that up. I couldn't I, like, I couldn't remember if I tried it, and you, if I if I did try, if I liked it. You've had it before, and uh, I like that one more than this Rebel IPA, Rebel Juiced IPA, because it does balance them quite a bit better than than this one does. Which so. makes no sense. And how do you fuck up the sidecar? How do you not? No idea. No idea. <laughs> Different brewers, just like, yeah, all right, we got, you know, Master Brewer working on the Tropical, and then the intern working on the sidecar. <laughs> maybe maybe their brewers aren't like Heineken, where it's like, take, have you seen the commercial for Heineken lately? No. It takes 15 years to become a Heineken brewmaster. It's like, why? What do they need to real? There's no change <laughs> I mean, in the I recipe. Mean, I mean, I like Heineken and all, but what's 15 years to it's, get the process? I well, know. It's basically following the instructions on those at that point. So. <laughs> You're being I silly. I don't see it. <laughs> being... I don't see it. All right. Maybe they mean that for the Heineken Amber, dark, or, you know, the one that doesn't taste good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to take another break here from another podcast. And we'll be back with our Spider-Man Homecoming review. So stay tuned. It's two middle-aged dudes and a microphone. Hey there, this is Aaron. And this is Craig. We are Two Middle-Aged Dudes and a Microphone, the podcast that brings you the best in weird news twice a week. We report the stories you just won't find on your local news, and we do our own research to make sure that all the stories we report are true. Two Middle-Aged Dudes and a Microphone. Always family-friendly, always fun. All right, guys, so we're back for the Spider-Man Homecoming review, Um, and I just wanted to throw a shout-out to our friends over at Divided by Werewolves, um, who had responded to us when I put out a a question asking about what they thought about Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, And they said that they thought it was a perfect ultimate Spider-Man movie, but just an okay regular Spider-Man movie. And yes, they're that big of a nerd. Um, So... Just thinking about that, I don't know that much about Ultimate Spider-Man, nor do I know that much about regular Spider-Man, because I don't follow the comics. Um, But, in general, I thought Spider-Man Homecoming was a very good movie, and probably one of the best that we've seen and covered 
for the podcast out of the Marvel universe. And I think you felt the same way, especially after coming out of the film, what you said to me leaving the theater. No, I liked it a lot. That is not what. That's not how you posed it when we left no, the theater. I'm, yeah, because I'm not. You gonna... had time to contemplate over it, and you're like, "Well, maybe I didn't like it as much as I first thought I did." I'm not. I'm not gonna divulge that info. You're talking about, you're <laughs> you're talk, too... talking about the hook. I'm not. I'm not. All right. All right. You thought it was. Hook. You thought it was a, a very good film. Okay. Well, I want to talk about this a little bit. Um, we've covered. Marissa <laughs> We've covered quite a few um, D- Marvel films and DC films in the past on the podcast, and um, I would say that I am more of a fledgling Marvel person. I don't know en- enough about Marvel to really be able to geek out about it. You know, I, I don't follow the comics. Um, I have not even seen you know a lot of the other Marvel films, like any of the Thors, any of the Iron Mans. Um, Neither have I. We've we've said that before. We've said that before. But I would say that out of the films that I've seen, which include Doctor Strange, um, Captain America, Civil War. um, You just call that Civil War. (laughs) Sure. Civil War. They they, they didn't even need to put, you know. You're right. Um, Ant-Man, the two Guardians of the Galaxy films. Totally forgot about Ant-Man. Ant-Man. I haven't seen it (laughs) since. I'm sure if I see it, I'll be like, this is the most delightful film in the world. It's the best one. Paul Rudd's the star. But out of all of those that I've seen, I do think that Spider-Man Homecoming is probably the most entertaining in terms of both storyline and the humor aspect to it. And Guardians of the Galaxy coming in a a close second. But I think that this Spider-Man film, more so even than... The past Spider-Man films that they have been, like The Amazing Spider-Man and uh, the Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, this one has a, the, a great balance between the humor and the lightheartedness and then the action sequences that make up a Spider-Man comic or, or you know, what should be part of the Spider-Man universe. I think that it does a really great job balancing all of those together and also putting it into a film that has to show teenage, uh, like, dynamics and relationships and to an adult audience. And a teen audience. And a teen audience, but yeah. And, and not be, you know... Catering school. to one or the other. And after-school special, you know, levels of cringeworthy. Like, usually when you see that, it's like, uh, like uh, Right. That, that's awkward. No, I, this, is, this is... They... they do it very well. And I didn't. I don't tell you right now. Did not expect it. I didn't think that at all. Going in. I didn't think making like Peter Parker be like 14 years old. Though he was funny and you know. Was a delight in Civil War. You weren't expecting Tom Holland to really pull it out. No. Because he or... looks. No. Because he looks like a low rent Michael Sarah. His mannerisms and stuff. He looks like. Like if you just look at the trailer. Like oh he's. 2017 now. It's been a decade since Super Bad. Isn't everyone over this Michael Cera bullshit? Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, when you see 
the trailer and you kind of just know the gist of Spider-Man Homecoming, it doesn't really look that promising. Especially since I didn't know that much about it. I was thinking there would be a lot of backstory. I went I went into pretty blind. I only saw like a little bit of the trailer. It's not because I didn't it's not because I didn't think this film was gonna be good. I did want to see it. But I just like I just didn't have like any desire really to go out of my way though to be like, what's gonna happen? Mm-hmm. It's like okay, they're rebooting Spider-Man. I liked his cameo and Civil War. Love Marissa Tomei's cameos. Civil War. Hi, Marissa. <laughs> <laughs> no, kidding. But, um, but you know, it's so... But at the same time, it's like with Civil War, I didn't see Ant-Man. Fucking Paul Rudd is great. Like, wow. Captain America. And I don't even know. think that in you know, Civil War, from the, uh, the perspective of watching for Spider-Man, you even get a great... Um, introduction to that character as much as you do in Spider-Man Homecoming. If you're a fan of the comics, and yeah, because he's a smart mouth, you know, making the quips and stuff, and you get to see that a little bit more in the intro of this movie. But I mean, like, from the cameo, it's like, okay, yeah, he's Spider-Man. Like, if you know anything about Spider-Man, like, yeah, he's cracking jokes while, you know, saving the day and whatnot. And, you know, and being, like, a smartass. But I don't even think that, um... He's not not fucking Batman, like, where's the drugs going? You know, like, yeah. you wouldn't expect, you're not going to see Spider-Man, your friendly neighbor no. Spider-Man going, where are the other trucks going? No, but uh, that's, <laughs> that's not really what I mean. I mean that, like, when you saw Tom Holland in Civil War, there wasn't really much that was attracting you to that character per se. But I mean, there's, but I mean, there's not much, his part in Civil War, though, is only to slightly, slightly entice you. Into the upcoming Spider-Man film, because at the point before that it was owned by I think what yeah, it was owned by Sony. Mm-hmm. So Sony had the right, like kind of with X-Men, how they don't have X-Men in the movies because 20th Century Fox got that shit on lockdown, and you know they won't give it up. They finally got Sony to cooperate and you know like get, work a deal out where they can get Spider-Man into this. So with seeing Spider-Man in Civil War, it's like thank you. Can't least, have the Avengers and shit without at, Spider-Man. At least he's there. Yeah. And I think that's... So, so that alone, whether he... What, he could have totally sucked ass in Civil War. The promise alone, like, finally. He's there. He's, he's there. Like, the Avengers. Again, with, especially with the way Marvel and Disney have done these films. Like, they, they'll they'll work something out. Mm. And they'll, they'll get it right. I mean... So... They're probably not hesitant to spend a lot of money... On just the rights. Because you, at that point, oh, say, you, you have to. M- Mickey flew in on Slave 1 with Boba Fett. Like, oh! Tony! <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. No, <laughs> you have one of our properties, bitch. Ha <laughs> ha We want uh, Spider-Man now, jackass. Ha <laughs> ha! And then yeah, someone's like, well, no. And they probably gave him $5 billion. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you no, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> But I think that what really makes Spider-Man Homecoming work is that humor and a good plot, really, that doesn't blow all of its wad on a A very important main villain. Yes. (laughs) Doesn't have a main villain. It's, it's again, I I mean, I know, like, the, most of the info that I know from Marvel is from movies. Some of the cartoon shows when I was a kid. Especially, because, like, you're... Like, Marvel vs. Capcom? 
I do, do love them. <laughs> Although there's no real uh, connection, knowledge just, there. <laughs> I, I did play Marvel vs. Ultimate uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance because that came with my 360 when I got it, and I loved it. It was a great like dungeon crawl RPG, and you did get like to experience like you know at that point when the, 2006 2007. I didn't know like really that much about Marvel except from the movies and cartoon shows. So like seeing like Fing Fang Foom and Red Skull and Mo. Uh, you know, Modoc. I'm like, what the? F-? You know, I didn't fucking know these things, but it's like, got me more immersed, and I liked it. But I never really got involved. Again, as we talked about before in the podcast, I mean, you are more, you know more about the comics per se than I do, because I mean, I only know like from like w- stuff on YouTube and Wikipedia. Not even Marvel. I really don't know that much about Marvel. But yeah, I'm just saying, like, from about Marvel and DC. Like, I know like the comic book stuff. I kind of know from just reading stuff online. I'm interested. I want to. The fact that I'm, but the fact is, for both of us, we're such like continuity and perfectionist whores. For us, it's kind of like, well, where the fuck do I begin? Yeah. Do do I do I jump it right into like you know? There are good guides, but it really still bugs me that I have to pick up, you know, in the middle of a random series. In order to first meet Spider-Man, and then then I jump to which, Spider-Man again, number which, one. But again, I understand why. Like with like DC, like. It's been quite a while. It's almost been a decade now since New 52 launched, right? Well, New 52 launched and ended. Oh, it's already done? Yeah, it only lasted for like two years and 50, 52, basically 52 issues for each one. I thought New 52 was supposed to be like the new canon. No, um, well, it is and it isn't. Now they have Rebirth, which is their new... Oh my... See, that's what, see, that's what pisses me off, because I thought like with... Like, because back in the 80s, you had Crisis on Infinite, cri- you know? Yeah, yeah. And then right. that was supposed to blow up the universe, like, yeah. kind of do a reboot... And so you can, like, you know, for new people to jump back in. And so with, like, New 52, I understand, like, the pro- idea of it. It's like, okay, like, we're going to do, like, a reboot and, like, have, like, this event. And then... So you're telling me 52 is already over with. Well, 52 is already over with, but in general, a lot of the storylines are carried over from fi- New 52 into Rebirth. Yeah, see, that's what... See, that's that's why I don't read comics. Because that, to me, it's like, just fucking... Just continue. Just continue on. And then, like, if it gets too convoluted and bullshit again, then you reboot it again and... Yeah. But no, but anywho, getting off track. So from what I know from like Marvel is from the cartoons and the movies. So with, with Spider-Man, I've never really seen him as, you know, a teen. Mhm. And done that way cuz Spider-Man as a young teen. Yeah, basically teen. normally as a like a young adult sort of like 17-18 year old. That's what he's usually been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, you know, Spider-Man Homecoming very, this is the epitome of teen, you know, young 14 year old kid, um, trying to figure out his place in his school, in everyday life, while at the same time juggling the difficulty of being a superhero at the same time. I think it works really well. I think John Watts is a great director for this, um, Despite the fact that the film has six different screenwriters on that film, it is a very seamless transition between Good them Lord, all. I didn't... When we, at the end credits, when they, like you saw the screenplay written by six people, it's like, good Lord! Wow! Like, did they give... Like, act, okay, here's act one to two of you guys, and here's act two to you guys. Well, I would, I would I assume didn't... that it was probably written, and then rewritten, and then rewritten, and then... And then you kind of have the amalgamation of, like, we took well, some from this guy's plot, you know, and we took a storyline No, I know, here. I know, I get that, but it's like, wow. Because, again, you're right, the film does not at all show any iota 
that this is like written by committee. It's a, despite it's the fact pretty, that it's two hours and thirteen minutes. Doesn't, it's a pretty fast film. Doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't feel like it. It moves through a lot of both plot development and a lot of different um, like storylines and action sequences, which really surprised me because you have. You know, if you think about, like, the early Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, where he's basically tasked with doing one thing, you know, and it builds his backstory until he's finally Spider-Man, and then... The whole point of Spider-Man 1 is him becoming Spider-Man. Exactly. And how Harry Osborn becomes, you know, uh, Green Goblin, and then what happens, and then the fallout from that film is what sets up the next, you know, two films, essentially. Yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming has a lot more set pieces. There's a lot more action sequences in it where Spider-Man is doing things. You think about, there's a scene where Spider-Man has to hold a boat together, a ferry together. There's a scene where, um, you know, Spider-Man has to, there's many scenes actually where Spider-Man has to fight um, the new villain that's that's in this film, um, Vulture. Which I, I have never heard of it before, actually. Right, exactly. I've never heard of it. Um, but there's so, there's so much plot to move through in this film but it does it in a seamless way and you would never realize if you didn't see the credits that there this was written by more than one person it's it's very seamless in that regard and i think that the plot is a really strong point for this film because there's a lot to get through but it, it works and it it pairs the whole teen storyline of being in school trying to figure out who you are who your friends are um Trying to get the girl, which in this case is not even Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy, but a different girl named Liz. Um, There's so much story to get through, but it does it in a a great way. And I think that it's due to both good script writing and a solid directing directing vision by um, John Watts. I mean, I think... And a perfect cast. Yeah, and a great cast. I think that Tom Holland, you know, even it, despite the young age, the the issues, like you said, where it kind of seems like they were looking for a Michael Sarah esque person to play this the role, he's a very good. He's he's good in both the funny scenes, but he's also good in the serious scenes. And I think he has that sort of charisma to carry both ideas. Like one is that we think of Spider Man, and most people think of Spider Man. As being an adult who is a superhero. Young adult. Well, I mean, I'm talking about, like, secret identity-wise. Like, people in New York City would think of Spider-Man as probably an older person, an older superhero, uh, you know, saving the day. And they they, they play to that, too. They do, yeah. They play to that, where in an interrogation scene, you know, one guy's like, come on, you know, the other night you sound like a, you know, 15-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they I think they realize that. You know, they're playing with that. And it's really interesting how Tom Holland can swap between those roles. And I think he does a really good job with that. Um probably more than he's even getting credit for. Uh he's a good Spider-Man. I I don't know now seeing him that there has been a better one. I think that Tobey Maguire was a good Spider-Man as well. But in this case, when you're looking for someone who's a little bit younger, you want to go uh, like a younger route with uh, a, a younger uh, Peter Parker as Spider-Man. He's pretty much the perfect person to play this character. You know, he's got that ability to have the fast quips. 
Um, kind of a rambler. And he does it all really well. So I was impressed by Tom Holland particularly. Because he really carries this film. There's not... Besides Michael Keaton's character, there's not a whole lot of other characters that make... Draw focus. Right, so. exactly. They don't make, like, regular appearances. There is uh, Peter Parker's friend, um, and he's he's also really good. That's uh, played by Jacob Batalon, who's uh, Ned. But, but he's just stereotypical, like, oh my god, I'm the geeky friend. Yeah, he's the geeky friend. He's a stereotypical friend. I think he does a good job, but again, there's not much there for him. Um, so it's really Tom up to Tom Holland and to a lesser extent, Michael Keaton to carry this film. And I think he do, Tom Holland does a really good job with it. I don't know if people before coming to this coming into the film, I don't know if they would have believed that Tom Holland could carry this on his own as Spider-Man. I, I think as well, though, I think as great of a job as he did, and I and I do think he did a great job. I think he's actually very enjoyable. He put, you know, because as, you know, Peter Parker, he's, you know, unsure of himself and, very, you know, doubts. But at the same time, he's very anxious to want to do, you know, do things. He's, you know, he's trying constantly throughout the film trying to get a hold of happy and tony sark to prove that like i can do things mm-hmm. you know but at the same time while he's doing that like he's like i don't know if i can do this or like i'm gonna die and you know but at the same time he really wants something so he's trying to get past that but he but he plays a great balance between he is not confident in himself even as a superhero but at the same time he is because he's trying to prove that like he can do it, so it's and it's weird to say that and you know think about it, like oh, this doesn't make sense. But if you think about it, like especially if you already gone through puberty and you're an adult, like you kind of you remember how like as a teen going through puberty at moments like I'm fucking great, right? Yeah, you your know, head's like, strong. Yeah, and then, like, you know then, you can do it. And literally three seconds later, you like you look at something like, like I'm fuck I'm a fucking failure. Like what am I gonna fucking do? Right. So and he does that. You know he captures that very well. I think though, the film is definitely boosted by the fact that Mike, Michael Keaton's the villain. Yes. Good lord, is he fucking fantastic? In He's this. so fun. He He's... like he is just again as I said like. Willem Dafoe in the original Spider-Man is hamming it up as Harry Osborn, the Green Goblin. To- even more so than Michael Keaton in this film. Totally in that film, hamming it up and just enjoying and reveling in the fact. Like, I like I get to be like a Silver Age comic character. Just like totally, you know, fucking bonkers and insane. Michael Keaton's like that, but he's more grounded at the same For, time. I think that the um throughout the most of the film... He's pretty well grounded, wherein you see, like, okay, he's pretty much a normal guy, but he's really doing this for his family, and he's he's kind of, uh, he's kind of, like, made himself believe that he's doing it for his family, even though, really, he enjoys, he it. enjoys being, like, an evil <laughs> villain. Um, and in this case, it's basically about regular uh, people finding alien technology and then using it for themselves and um, selling it yeah, and selling it and and that that's basically Michael Keaton's character um up until the point and this is a spoiler so if you haven't seen the film definitely tune out um giving you a, a second to tune out 
uh, up until the point where we find out that he's Liz's father. Which and then by, by he the way, gets to ham the shit out of I that know. role. Which, by the way, you, it's not like that's a shocker. It's that, that because no, because at the same time, like that's like that's been done to death. Like, oh, I'm gonna go on a date. You find out like the dad or whatever. Like, it's like you know, like your enemies, like you know, relate to like, Oh no, I would know, but like as soon as that happens, it's great. He is hamming. Like, he is totally just, like, reveling. I can't wait to beat the shit out of this, like, 14-year-old kid. Yeah, no, I love that moment. It's it's like a substitute. Like, every, like, teacher's, like, wet dream. Like, oh, that's, like, that little shit bag. Like, if I could only just... mm." I mean, there's a lot of great moments about that reveal. And even if you're not really surprised by it, and I will say that I didn't really see it coming, and, and just because there was no real connection between Liz and Michael Keaton's character, Adrian... Um, at the same time, when that happens, it's a lot of fun, not only because of Michael Keaton's reactions, because he does get to like, you know, show his teeth and just have a lot of like outlandish reactions, but also because of Tom Holland's reactions as Peter Parker, knowing that his, basically his girlfriend's father is his arch nemesis. It's a lot of fun, especially... You know, when we talk about why Spider-Man is named, is uh, codenamed Homecoming, it's because it takes place on the Homecoming dance. And so Tom Holland, as Peter Parker, is picking up Liz for the Homecoming dance. And that's when he realizes that Michael Keaton's character is actually Liz's father. Um, There's a lot of fun to be had there, and that's really solely on Tom Holland's reactions because constantly he's staring at Michael Keaton rather than taking pictures with Liz or, you know, answering questions that Liz's mom and dad are asking him. He's mesmerized by the fact that Michael Keaton is his fucking arch nemesis and and he's come face to face with that. Uh, That's a lot of fun. And I think that's really where Michael Keaton gets a lot of his you know his stride in the in the fact that when he when it's clear to the audience that he is the villain and also meant to be a sympathetic character because we know Liz and we like Liz and we know that Peter likes Liz uh there's some sympathy involved in that it's a lot of fun because then Michael Keaton really gets to play around with that you know we want to sympathize with him but he's also fucking crazy at times, and <laughs> I, th- I think the job has made him crazy. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. The like, job has made him crazy. You see him in the intro, like he gets the job to clean up, you know, Stark Tower after you know the attack on you know because it's set you know back you know whatever either the Avengers film or one of the Iron Man films. This is the problem not seeing, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, Basically, you know, the eight, fact is that there the part of the city was destroyed. They're cleaning up the mess because of, because of alien technology. Because of alien technology, yeah, so. and they, and they find alien technology in the wreckage, and that's where his idea is born to create alien technology because, weapons. But out the job because the job's taken from the fucking crew from the mummy rolls up, <laughs> yeah. and it says like we're section five hundred two, and we're here, you know, to tell you we're taking over this job. And he's like. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I just got a fucking contract for this to clean this shit up by the city. It's approved, and I just spent a shit ton of money to get guys and trucks and like, yeah, we don't fucking care. 
So yeah, if I was him too, I'd be like, yeah, well, fuck you, you know, like. Especially, and, and basically, it's a fuck you to Tony Stark. Because he's really the one that's running the operations that say, do, no civilians get to touch any alien technology. Taking jobs away from people mm. who would just be generally cleaning up messes like that. And so, it makes sense. So I I got I, I got to side with Michael Keaton on that cause I'd be I know I'd be pissed off too like like you spend all this money with your company and whatnot like he's the blue have, collar worker he's got yeah no and they do kind of ha- they do fist in that like when he's talking to Peter like the rich guys like them you know they fuck us us blue collar guys because they don't fucking care I, I, at the same time it's like man like. uh what, what what are you trying to say with that? Because the film's basically portraying Tony Stark's like, praise Tony Stark's. So he's saying like, we need rich people to you know suck from the teeth from like rain that like Reaganomics rain that money on me, Tony. Like I can't do it alone. I need you. It's kind of what. And the, I mean, I know that's reading way too much into, it, but at the same time, it's like you kind of can because again, like he's again blue collared guy. And but then he makes his money from the fact that he afterwards from being an illegal aliens arm dealer, because he is a blue collar guy and got fucked over by you know rich people. Yeah, but, but at the same but at the same time the movie's like, well even though that's the case he's wrong in doing that so you know and make make sure you think that corporation's a person and whatnot. Well, <laughs> I I don't I don't know if that's exactly the movie's theme, but I think that that's, no that no that's the overall theme. But that that's a part. It's a part of it. It's a part of it, and the fact I, the whole showdown when Peter goes to, after you know Michael Keaton in his glorious ways, fucking pulls a Glock out of his goddamn glove compartment when he's taking his daughter to homecoming and threatens to kill him because he's figured out that he's Spider Man. If he you know he's like you can go in there, give my daughter a great time, not too great of a time. You're only fourteen. Yeah, Don't hopefully ha- you're not getting a blowjob out of it. I mean, well. <laughs> she's 17 she's in, she's a senior he's a freshman so I mean okay may, if he gets a blowjob it's okay don't knock him <laughs> it, it's okay you know. <laughs> dad says it's okay I don't know if that ever happens but just, well, just don't come home knocked up <laughs> that's right don't come home with a surprise a button you know. but no he's like threatening him with a gun saying like, you can go in there show her a great time and you know I know you're Spider-Man so just let this go You and you know I'm the vulture so let this go if you let this go, I won't fucking kill you. But if you come back, you know, and try to do something, I will fucking kill you. I gotta protect me and my family. And uh, he, you know, runs out and chooses not to, and that's when he has the confrontation in the warehouse with, you know, Michael Keaton, and that's like my, Michael Keaton's whole debate with him. Not debate, really, because, you know, Spider-Man's like, you're wrong, and... He's like, he's like saying like, no, we're blue collared guys. We're both from Queens. We've, you know, seen how shitty the world is. You know, I got fucked. You're going to get fucked because of these circumstances. We got to stick together because we're blue collared guys. Yeah, I mean. By the end of the day, it's like Tony Stark stays the day. So it's like, I mean, again, it's not like a focal point of the film, but it's, it's literally put in there. So if you're observant, you could easily take away from the film like, like. Well, the blue collar guy gets fucked, but hey, at least Disney made their money. Well, I think that the the main issue with Michael Keaton is not that he's even doing like an illegal arms deal, but it's that the way that it's affecting the city in that 
it's not just like he's supplying guns. He's supplying like super hyper violent and destructive weapons to people who don't really understand the the concept of what they have. But it's, it's not his job, though. No, it's not. No, he's I a know. fucking business. No, I, and any good businessman would tell you, like, it's not my job to tell you. No, like, I agree, but I I think that it does. The film does, in some ways, find sympathy with Vulture, and I think that's why you know Spider Man doesn't kill people, so that's why he saves him at the end. But at the same time, the it does want you to have a little bit of sympathy for Michael Keaton's character because he has been screwed over. He does have a family that he has to protect. Um, it, I do find a little bit of sympathy for him, but at the same time, I do love that Michael Keaton gets to just kind of flex that muscle, that acting muscle. It's so great it's when so he much- he fantastic. fucking disintegrates that one guy who threatens to fucking leave his crew, fucking shoots him and kills him, disintegrates him to a pile of ash like you're playing Fallout and you go into vats and you fucking fire like a laser rifle to kill somebody and it turns him to ash. And he's like, He's like, you just killed him. He's like, oh, the anti-gravity gun. Yeah, I know. And he's like, but but he's also, like, he doesn't like, care. Like, it's like, no, it's disintegrating. He's like, oh, fuck. Well, no, because at the same time, it works. If he shot him with the anti-gravity gun, what the fuck would it do? You, like, knock him back? You're like, yeah, the wind's knocked out. Yeah, I think. You're going to go tell people now? So, no, I think... <laughs> I mean, it's a funny moment, but at the same time, you think about it, like, if he's pressed with the situation, the idea of, like, hmm, he might go and tell my wife that I'm actually, like, an arms dealer and alert the cops and whatnot, but, you know. Right. Because I pissed him off. Is knocking with an anti-gravity gun be like, you're right, you're right. I was wrong. I'm I gonna, was wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep fall this back, a secret. Fall and... back in line. No, killing him is actually the proper, you know, the right. Well, I would say, yeah, the it's right... probably the right thing to do for right thing for uh, Michael Keaton. But... but no, but I mean, like, and at the same time, so when he doesn't give a care, it's not, give a shit. It's not like, oh wow, what a he's a bastard. It's like, no, you're having the proper reaction right now. Like, Woo! What a relief. You yeah. know, like. I don't have to worry about this asshole. Like, I don't give a shit about anything. I'm going to go tell you, you know. And yeah. while I'm telling your wife, I'm going to eat your cookies and fuck your wife. Because <laughs> I have a beard. Uh, so we've talked <laughs> a lot about a, about the plot, which we all we both agree is a very solid plot for this film. Spider-Man Homecoming um, takes a lot of those teenage moments and it makes them into really important moments for Peter Parker you know, not as backstory, but as um, more so like the actual crux of this this film, the plot itself. Uh, what do you think about the humor in it? Because the humor is a huge part of Spider-Man in general, but also Spider-Man Homecoming. And there's a lot of areas that are very funny in this film. It's great. I think this is... I think... I think this is kind of the plan that they had, like the obviously the tone to go for this film overall. Not yeah, not not dark or ser- you know, not serious like Str- Doctor Strange yeah. almost you know, besides a few funny moments, pretty pretty overall serious. Civil War overall very serious. I mean like but I think but at the same time, though I think the plan was always to be, you know, more comedic and leaning. It's almost like they saw Suicide Squad last year. Like, ha ha ha, you fucking idiots! 
this is how you make you know funny you know a well like a like a fun and entertaining. Even though they already done that with Guardians of the Galaxy, they probably fucking the heads the execs at Disney and DC. No, not DC. Sony, Disney, and fucking you know Marvel were probably laughing like you fucking idiots. We're gonna show you how to because it's almost like they like because we joked about like like. Remember how, like in like in the nineties, you had you know pop, you know pop and rock songs like added to films. They don't do that anymore, as we said earlier. It's fucking more like we gotta have vintage songs in there, right? So what do they have in this song? They gotta have the fucking Ramones, you know, Blitzkrieg Bop in the, here, because kids who are fourteen years old sing this movie. Fucking no, the Ramones and Blitzkrieg Bop. I can guarantee a handful. Yeah, you know. And and so it's like like you know that's one of the main things you know songs and anthems of this you know is Blitzkrieg Bop, so it's almost like like yeah they they saw Suicide Squad like this is how you fucking do it you idiots this is how you do it it's how you have fun make it humorous, but also be serious at the same time, and they do it and they do it so well. It's a <laughs> seamless, you know, combination of action sequences and funny moments. And not only that, they're so well ingrained in, like, the fact... You know how I talked about before we were reviewing these films, how, like, how it's like the modern-day film serials? Yeah. Because it's basically, like... Uh, you know, like, and next time, you yeah, know... Yeah, I mean, like, because the films basically starts off, like, like, like I, I can't remember other fil- uh, films in the Marvel series starting off like this. So the film basically starts off with the whole Michael Keaton and what happens to him, and then goes into the opening credits. So it's almost like... It, 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 like the the whole way it's set up, it's almost like it is a long TV episode. It's a film serial. Yeah, and it's like could... it, it's like they're embracing it. So I expect for like down the line, like you get like a five minute intro into the film, and then it goes into like the film intro. Like like here's what's going on, and what you know you might have missed from the last film. Now we're gonna go on what's going on now. You know, so this could easily come right after Civil War, in term because in in for the most part. There's some copying from Civil War of the events that take place in that to get viewers ready for what's going to happen in Spider-Man Homecoming. So, well, to set up how Spider-Man's, you know, now Spider-Man. Because it's not an origin story. So, to show how, like, kind of how Spider-Man Spider-Man, you got to show him being shown up, you know, at, you know, at getting, Civil War. Getting to take part in the Avengers, you know, using his suit that's given to him by Tony Stark. All of that is kind of shown in the the beginning part of Spider-Man Homecoming. It's really important to the movement of the film from there. But the the film has so much humor in it. And it works so well that really, you're right, DC should take some notes on how to do a fun film. Not something that, you know, and, and I don't think that all Marvel or DC films need to be in this style, where it's kind of humorous, it's it's off and on action, humor, and well, a little well, bit of drama. Well, no, because then it's becoming formulaic. Yeah, it's not. That's not the the goal. But I do think that there is in Spider Man Homecoming a really good combination of those features that make it a film to look for when you're trying to emulate that idea. Like you know, if the when the Batman comes out, you're not looking for 
a film like Spider-Man The Homecoming where it's like a combination which of action might, and which comedy. Might, which they might actually do. Yeah, it's a bad it's, idea. It's, it's, it's almost like they might like, like well, everyone's bitching about how all these films aren't, aren't you know, like entertaining enough. Like, maybe we should make the Batman less Nolan-esque and make it more, you know. I think they're they're misunderstanding the uh, the character itself. Like, Batman is not funny. He's... He, is intentionally not funny. He's very well, at serious. Least, at least the modern day. Interpret- at least the modern day interpretation of Batman is. And Spider Man is consistently funny, and that's who he is as a person and as a as a you know as a fourteen year old kid. He's a funny kid, it, and and that's really what comes out of Spider Man Homecoming. Um, there's a, a lot of funny moments. There's. Uh, infusion of the Marvel Universe. Like, Captain America shows up quite a few times. Oh my as, god, as fucking hilarious. Almost steals the show with, like... Just his little PSA announcements for that, all of the school. And they and they fit so seamlessly, like, like like in gym class, and they roll out, like, a PSA, like, alright, here's a PSA for your kids to watch on Captain America. I think he's some kind of war criminal now. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> and it's like, and it's, like and it's great, because, like, it, as both of us, as with education degrees, can, like, sit there and think, like, yeah, like, oh yeah, we have Osama Bin Laden giving you a PSA announcement, but we don't have the money to, you know, to fix that now. To change him up, yeah. To change him up, so, um, alright, here you go. I mean, similarly. <laughs> so, so, it like, works perfectly, like, like, yeah, we know this asshole's a, he's a war criminal now, but, uh. <laughs> we gotta show it to you anyway. I mean, Iron Man ain't gonna do this shit. <laughs> Uh, Wait, by the way, as we talked about when we watched the film, this film could have been renamed Iron Man's National Lampoon, Iron Man's Vacation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because uh, Robert Downey Jr. apparently just gets like an Indian vacation, uh, gets to go around the world shooting these films. Holiday I, Road should have been playing. I don't know why they didn't get the rights to fucking Buckingham's Holiday Road. I, every time like Iron Man showed up like... I'm going to guess that most of... Robert Downey Jr.'s scenes were filmed just on location because he happened to be there. You know what I mean? It's like, well, he's we in Bengal, India. Yeah, we like, we and can't really track him down, so just like send a film crew out <laughs> and fucking film him there, and then we'll work it into the plot. It'll it'll make sense when we get out. Why is Robert Downey Jr. in India? He just is. He just you know Tony Stark. He travels, <laughs> and that's the uh, that's the uh, you know description for that um but i think like even those small details the psas from iron or from uh, captain america the various funny moments from robert downey jr as tony stark um the weird classroom tv show that we get to see quite a few times that looks like was directed by tim and eric um they're all really funny moments in in like, they interrupt the plot, but they don't take away from the plot. It's really important. Um, and I think that this film, as a Marvel film, probably is the funniest that we've seen. But it also works in terms of fitting in with the Spider-Man franchise and, and how funny and puntastic Spider-Man and Peter Parker can often be. I It works really well. And... I think that if anybody looking for like a superhero film that has both action and humor, 
Spider-Man Homecoming is probably the one that you want to see the most. It, besides Guardians of the Galaxy, which pretty much everybody realizes is sort of a mishmash of action and humor, Spider-Man Homecoming is, yet again, another perfect example of how you do that correctly. How you, you manage both action and humor. So we talked about the 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 funny parts of the film, but what did what did you think about the action? Because that's always a big issue within both sup- any superhero film, really, either Marvel or DC. How do you you manage superhero films with CGI that can often look very, you know, fake? Um, I think the action in this film is pretty good. Outside the end sequence, the end fight between Spider Man and Vulture. Um, and that's because it suffers from the same problem, like, almost most superhero films do nowadays. They've been Snyderified. Of like, it's gonna be dark! On a runway! No lights! You know, sh- shadows! Nothing! You can't see anything! Yeah, uh, just, uh, things flying at you. Yeah, just, like, random CGI shit. This film is a pleasant surprise in the fact that there's quite a few action sequences that take part in the day. We're like... I can see what's going on. Right, yeah. Like you almost want to be like fucking Julie Andrews and the sound of music and twirl around like, this action is alive with the sound of daylight. I think it's, that's... It's, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty good until like, the like, there's a couple of action sequences that do happen at night before the end, but they're, they're framed well enough to where you can see what's going on. Yeah. Um, I think the end sequence is the biggest problem in the action because the way the lighting is and the framing is you can't you can't tell what the fuck's going on and And it's not again it's not a problem with this so it's like all superhero films have this problem because they all gotta happen in this big open area in the middle you know dark and there's no lighting or anything and so you can't track and frame what's going on but other than that, I think the action in this film is pretty good the whole fairy sequence is very enjoyable it's almost kind of when he's shooting the web to like kind of like you know try to reconnect the fairy and, like, pull it together. It's reminiscent to a point of, like, Spider-Man 1 with... Not Spider-Man 1, actually. Spider-Man 2, when he's trying to stop the subway from going off exactly. the tracks. Exactly, yeah. With, that's from, exactly with, the kind of... With Doc Or Ock. even, like, the, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. That's, you know, collapsing, and he's got a... It did seem very reminiscent of that, but in... Almost, like, in an homage to it. And not no, not in a, in a bad way, but it's, again, like you again, you could see what's going on. Even when you think about the end fight in Superman and uh, Superman one and Spider Man one between Green Goblin and Spider Man, it happens at dark on you know on a bridge in, in the Statue of Liberty. You can still see everything that's fucking happening at though. It may not be like tantalizing and get the audience's imagination tingling today, like because it's not like as like overly thought out as it would be today. But you can, everything that happens, you can see, you can process. Because it's framed and lit in a way to, like, it's not just random shit happening in the dark. Yeah, my explanation for the the problems and the conclusion to this film really stem from the way that the uh, this plane that's been designed by Tony Stark can change and reflect its exterior. I think even still, like, it's... Even still, like, just... It it doesn't matter. You gotta make it look... You gotta be make it... So people can understand what the hell's going on in the scene. No, I agree. I think it's problematic for sure. And I think it's probably the worst... 
part of this film in terms of the actual visuals because I think that the, the film does a really good job of showing how fluid-like Peter Parker's movements are. Even from the beginning when you're watching in like the home video iPhone camera in terms of like how he f- kind of flips over the bed and he's kind of very like uh, almost gymnastic in his movements. I think it works because then when you see the CGI effects of Spider-Man climbing walls and Spider-Man jumping over fences and things like that, it makes sense. It it, it looks realistic because we've been kind of Accustomed attuned to, yeah. to the way that he moves. And I, it's a pretty ingenious way of making us see like, okay, this is how Spider-Man generally moves. So like when we see CGI, it doesn't really look out of place because we're used to that. It's, it's it's a good effect. And I think that, you know, even though like the webbing and which sometimes like, even if you think about Spider-Man one, some of the webbing looked really fake. Yeah. And in this film, it doesn't, it really looks quite good. I, I, I was pretty impressed with the amount of effects that happen that still look pretty well grounded in reality. No, I agree. I think the over-reliance on CGI, I mean, it was CGI, but I mean... Sure. I mean, I think... They've got, like, the best CGIers here. Like, DC, again, needs to steal some people. Well, I was say, they (laughs) they fucking better ask, like, the whole, like, Doctor Strange, like, effect of, like, you know, walking on the buildings and, like, warping it and shit. Again, like, practically, like, I'm always going to be the person that says, if you can go practical, go practical. Because even if it doesn't look as nearly as good as CGI could... When it's a practical effect, you can touch, see, and feel it. And understand it. I don't, like, so with, like, the CGI effects, like, Doctor Strange, like, the whole, like, building shifting and shit. It's like, yeah, you can't do that practically. Totally understand that. But, like, the, it still looked really good and really cool in that. And, like, you know, effective. So if you got those same fucking people doing those effects, they better, whatever they do in CGI in this film, better, you know, fucking get it right. Don't fuck it up. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think they do a really good job with that. It's probably another one of Spider-Man Homecoming's best aspects is that they really get the the special effects down. And it doesn't look out of place. Even when you think of, like, Vulture. His who, suit, yeah, his, his suit, suit is be- literally, like, a giant just CGI effect. There's no way they, like, built a fucking pra- gigantic practical suit with fucking fan blades and shit. Like, all right, Michael. We're going to pretend you're going to take off. Like, yeah. no, 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 you just stand here and pretend you got this giant ass suit on you. Right? right, exactly. I mean, I think they did a good job with that. Pretty much everything looks reminded realistic. Me, it reminded me of like Ivan Ooze from like uh, the Power Rangers movie. Uh-huh. You remember like at the end when he had like that big silver, or like Goldar, like, you know, like the way yeah, he was flying. Yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it looked bad, I'm just saying like, it's just like the way it looked, it, it's like, oh yeah. But yeah, that's me not knowing a damn thing about Vulture. Yeah, it, I don't either. Not. To be honest with you, I have no idea. My knowledge about of Spider-Man's Vulture. Rogues Gallery is pretty, uh, yeah, pretty limited. <laughs> so, what did you think about speaking of Rhodes Galleries? What did you think about like the film's obvious uh, villain development? Because we have a few villain, like villain characters in here that don't get a lot of room for development or. You know, we don't even really meet them as characters. School bully, just calling him Penis Parker. <laughs> That's right. But it, but we also know that they are going to be important elements to the film later on. Like, we have, obviously, Scorpion, 
um, is going to be in this film or in the franchise at some point. You'd hope it'd you be hope. what what a waste it'd be, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that there's in that's this is what Marvel does really well is that they're constantly looking forward. You know, they they really understand that they need to be setting it up elements of a Marvel film early. So even in Spider-Man Homecoming, while there's no announcement of a Spider-Man 2 or that he's coming back well, There's no, still no, that no, idea. No, there is. Yeah, this is Spider-Man will return. Well, yeah, but that's that's and like, it's not handing at like he'll be in Avengers too, right? Like, it'll it's like there'll be a Spider-Man too. I mean, but again, at the same time, I think it's stupid for them to put that in the end of the film. It's like, of course, even this film fucking tanked. You'd be like, Spider-Man two is already been greenlit. We already got most of the shit fucking shot, except for like the scenes with Spider-Man because we need him to age a bit. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that they do a really good job of setting up that whole idea that this is this is a l- legacy, like it, it's gonna live on past just this film. So when you have Michael Mando as Mac, or no, also known as the Scorpion, and we don't even get a name drop that he's the Scorpion, it's an end credits thing. It's an end credits thing. You have that idea is like, wow, people are drawn in because they're like, okay, Nacho, this is coming back. Nacho's going to kill some people. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think it's really intriguing, and I think that probably that's what Marvel again, does best, and, and that's again, why they're so successful. Yeah, and again, that's, uh, you know, that's like, a Scorpion's not, again, it's another one that I'm not really too familiar with. Yeah, exactly. Point. So I think that, you know, it's pretty cool, because again, when DC like does like the end wrap-up, it's like, Superman's going, uh, not Superman, Batman's going to Amanda Waller to find out more about, like, these superhumans. Like, he's fucking Batman. Of course, like, what you're doing right now, it's, okay, it's nifty and cool, but it fucking makes sense. We already know that's going to happen. Like, this is, you know, it's different. Like, you... Exactly. Like, you're not... Because, you're again, again, Scorpion's not going to be the fucking villain in an Avengers film. No, no, no. Okay, he's gonna be the next, spy, you know, you know, Spider-Man villain. I think, which is not probably gonna come out for another year or two years. It's gonna, you know, because we're gonna have Thor, we're gonna have another Avengers, we're gonna have another, you know, Iron Man, or probably, um, you know, Guardians before you get back to Spider-Man. And Spider-Man is gonna be showing up probably in those films, but again, it's, it's, you know, he's not gonna be the central. The, the figure of those films. Yeah. yeah. I That's what I like about the Marvel films so much is that they are setting up the advanced future game. They're not... It's not just like, all right, let's make a good movie now. It's like, let's make a good movie that also and again, can project the future. But again, that's what I said. It's like they're the modern day film series. Exactly. Yeah. They're, it's, they already have it so well blocked out that... And it may it really makes those D I I don't want to keep harping on them, but it really makes those DC films stand out in terms of like, well, this seems rushed. You know, it it doesn't seem as well blocked out as well. Not Marvel like that, has. but as we cause we saw again, they played the fucking Justice League trailer when we went to see this film, and it's like you can just tell watching. It's like they obviously made Flash fucking a kid in this because they had the Flash on television. Why can't you use the Flash from television? They have, like, Flash being in this film series be a kid. Why? Because he's going to be like Spider-Man. He's going to be a wisecracking teenager. When you have the fucking Flash on television. WB. CW. Whatever the fuck you want to call it. Same thing. Like, like, it's like, why, like, why isn't 
Green Arrow. Like, why do you, like, not have Green Arrow? Out of all the fucking characters with, like, DC to form this modern-day Justice League is Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg? I like fucking Cyborg. Why is it fucking Cyborg? It's not Green Arrow? Right. It's not Martian Manhunter? Like, what the fuck? Like, it's like, it's like, you have, like, things already at your disposal, and you're like, no, we, we have certain tropes we have to fill. Yeah. We have to have a black guy. We have to have a teen, a smart mouth teen. It's like, you have Steve Amell as Green Arrow. Why aren't you using Steve Amell? He's, he, like, fit him in. Whoever the hell plays the Flash on CW, why aren't you having him? If you knew already, like, at the time, it's not like the Flash has been on TV for, like, five years. It's only been, like, th- what, three years? Yeah, uh, three or four, I think. So, like, the, like, the starting at the same time as, like, the DC Universe and the film series, it's like, if you knew you're going to have the Flash, like, you're going to do a, finally do a fucking Justice League film, why wouldn't you cast somebody in the TV show that could be in the fucking movie? To tie it all together. You can even do, t- like, to boost ratings on a shitty cable network. True. Like, you know, to fucking make, like, get a good, like, an actor that's well-established to be in the TV show and then add him into the movie. To, like, boost ratings and then sell the fucking movie. It's true. I don't have to have a fucking business degree to fucking figure this shit, like, think this shit out. Yeah. It, and This it- is just a drunken ramble. Like <laughs> and in and with Marvel they've got that figured out and that's the difference really same thing is like with Gotham on Fox like what where's Gotham going is it not, it's not gonna connect anywhere near like the movie so no. like why the fuck do it yeah it's like it's like everything like everyone knows like all this shit has to tie together now it's like so why do you have all these loose ends yeah that you have no plans on connecting together like well we're just doing it because you know because eh. we want to and it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, money and money is money, money but yeah. it's like you could be making fucking much more money. More money, yeah, exactly. If you take the Marvel, the route that Marvel's going, that's why Disney's been successful for fucking ninety years and, of like pumping shit out. And, and Spider-Man: Homecoming is no different. And I, I definitely don't see anybody going to Spider-Man: Homecoming, even fans that, even people that are not fans of Spider-Man, and saying, "Well, I think I'm done with this." You know what I mean? This is this is making people. If you don't love Michael Keaton in this film, you don't have a soul. <laughs> and and if you're a guy and you don't love this film simply because of Marissa, 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 Marissa Tomei. Tomei, then you you don't have a functioning penis. I know, and I'm upset. Even, yeah, you know, I'm I, upset that they've they even announced that they cut some Marissa Tomei. Parts. Well, they they had to do that because like with like Suicide Squad to explain away why. So she's like, well, we did have more Jared Leto, f- you know, shots of Joker, and that's why he's considering quitting. Though I do love that whole ending, I really do. Of of him sneaking back into his room and Aunt May finding out. Spoiler alert: that he's Spider Man. Going what the? F-? And then you know, cuts to Blitzkrieg Bob. And that's that's actually that's actually really you know. And we didn't really talk about it. We briefly kind of talked about Marissa Tomei and her beautiful butt and tits, but she she I mean for the limited role she has in this, she is still great. She is a good she's a good Aunt May. I like her a lot, you know, and people were expecting, like, an old Aunt May, and I think she does a great job with it. Um, like you said, they make her a little bit frumpier than a normal Marissa Tomei would They're be. forcing it, because, again, they're giving her, like, the big glasses. I know the whole big glasses thing is in now, but it's like, literally giving her Sally just, like, she just, like she's going to be on more, like, you're not the father, you know. Right, not- exactly, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, it's not even big glasses in the sexy sense, it's big glasses in, like, uh, I have like negative seventy vision. I'm on Ricky Lake, <laughs> right? You know, you yeah, know. yeah. 
No, but I think still, even even still, even as much as they frump her up, they have plenty of butt shots in there. You, yeah, you. She's getting paid by the ass. You, you so like, 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 are you shooting my ass again? Yes, Marissa, we are. That's another two million dollars. Disney's got the money, Marissa. Okay, we'll give you we'll give you the you, check. You can't get away from Marissa Tomei's sexiness in the film. Even even if you're supposed to find her as more of a matriarchal character, you're still <laughs> thinking like, well, if I mean they're they're Peter Parker's kind of related to her, he could still no, come on her tits again. Right? Again, that's where I said like the whole fact that he call he. I don't think I think only twice he calls her Aunt May throughout the entire the entire film. He's going like May May. So that's why I said like so in this franchise, what's the relationship? Because again, it's like yeah. it's like you can easily imagine like. Like him, like fourteen year olds, like waking up, like I splooshed on Aunt May's tits. Like you know, like it's like yeah, no shit. You just like went to bed eating Thai food of her, like resting your head on her tits and like you know, close up on her ass. Like of course you're gonna be like, oh, you know, like you know, having like I need to go to church to you know pray to Jesus and you know say a few Hail Marys to yeah. I'm pretty sure the devil on Marvel's not gonna work that the incestual ties into this film, but. Uh, perhaps Tony maybe, Stark will get in there. Well, maybe. Um, <laughs> well, no, they make that clear. Yeah, I know. Like, like she, she's a nice Italian woman. It's like, and <laughs> maybe Ned will get some, or maybe that guy at the John Thai restaurant. It's gonna will be get John. Some. It's gonna be John Favreau. Happy's gonna, you know. Be, yeah. Peter's gonna be coming in one day. Like, hey, Happy, I've been looking for you. And ha- he's gonna come in like on the couch, and it's gonna be fucking John Favreau plowing Marissa, and he's gonna have like a smoke in his mouth. Like, hey, kid. We need you upstate. But <laughs> you're right. Marissa Tomei, super hot in this film. And if you're not enjoying that, then I don't know. You're missing out. It doesn't, sure. ma- doesn't matter what your orientation is. No, it doesn't. You get- She's hot regardless. Yeah. Just like I think Robert Downey Jr. looks pretty fly in this film. He's always a smarmy douchebag. I know he is. Hey, but it's like- still, I like it. I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I think it's fun now that he's kind of making fun of himself in a way, and it's like, wow, look how ridiculous. But at the Robert same time, Downey it's Jr. not as fun. As, it's not as fun as like him making fun of himself in like Tropic Thunder. No, it's not as fun as that. But which, by God, don't you feel old? That's like almost ten years old yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel fucking so I like feel think, old. Like thinking about that, like, oh my God, Tropic Thunder's ten years old. All right, so before we get done with the the podcast, what were your favorite moments from Spider Man Homecoming? Um, I love the whole interaction, um, the end of the second act where, uh, Michael Keaton's taking his daughter and Peter Parker to the dance and he's literally, like, surmising, like, through what his daughter's saying, like, this little shitbag Spider-Man. And just, like, how his face is, like, turning. And you can look, like, in, like, how he's explicitly going from, like, somebody who's grounded into someone who's, like... I can't wait to fucking kill this little shit. Yeah, right. Like just, just seeing the delight on his face, like this little shitbag Spider-Man, I'm gonna fucking kill it. Like just like see, like like oh, it's so great. Because again, throughout the entire film up until that point, Michael Keaton's pretty grounded. Then like when it, that point hits, he's like is so like just enjoying the fact like I'm the fucking bad guy. I'm the villain of this film. I need to fucking enjoy it, you know. Like I need, I need to have like this great again. He's probably like, I and I lo- again as I said earlier in the film, I lo- in this podcast, I loved Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. He 
throughout the entire film is hamming it up and like enjoying being hammy and like just like loving it. But I loved in this film, I think Michael Keaton's slightly better in the fact that like he goes from being grounded and then just enjoying and loving and accepting his role as being a villain and he just like, you know, just reveling in it. It's like it's it's almost like you're thinking about like what would Michael Keaton be in Batman if he was the Joker instead of the Batman? Like just like enjoy like reveling in the fact that like I I'm fucking crazy now. I can't wait to fucking beat you know kill his fourteen year old. I'm gonna you know enjoy every little second of it. So I love that. I love Michael Keaton's transformation in this film. I love the fact in this film that what that there's no background story. Yeah. Besides the little hints that are dropped, you know, like when you know the his, Peter Parker's fat, you know, friend is like, "How did you become Spider Man?" You know, and it's like, "Oh, Spider bit me." I love the fact that they have like no interest in a backstory. Yeah. Um, and that they're more focused on what's you know what he's doing now after Civil War, what's going on, and how that relates. Um. And I like, and I we didn't really mention it, but Robert Downey Jr. in his small parts as as Tony Stark, very enjoyable. He's and even more so than like an Iron because he's an asshole in like the Iron Man films and Civil War and whatnot. Even more so, he's like hamming it up, just being like a total douchebag. Like, yeah, hi kid, yeah, how's it going? Yeah, things are, yeah, well, I sent this, you know, little ro- you know, baby thing, you know, keep tracking, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, yeah, gonna go. Are you, are you driving, Tony? Yeah, 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 I gotta go. Yeah, I got, yeah. Thing, you know, shit, shit happens when you're rich. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And again, as you said, it's literally like they like took fucking Robert Downey Jr. on vacation. Like, yeah, Rob, we were paying you five million dollars for this. Uh, we gotta film it. He's like, yeah, no, no. I'm hopping an Audi. Gonna, yeah, yeah, really. You gonna put, you gonna put the Audi in the film? Sure, we'll pay for the rights to have the logo. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna go in the Audi down to Bengali and fuck some, you know, whores and then, you know, eat some curry. How's that sound? Is that good to you? Like, sure, you know, alright, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll figure it out later. Okay, yeah. yeah, it does seem uh, like that. yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think overall the casting in this film is great. Yeah. I think everyone in the film does a really good job. I think it's, again, it's a two plus hour film. It doesn't feel like it at all. No. It's a very easy, enjoyable watch. I think it's got a great blend of action that you would expect from a modern day comic book film, but also the right sense of humor that tinges with like Silver Age comics, and a, the right amount of character development and interest that you can stay engaged. It hits all the right notes for me. I think I think this is probably my favorite Marvel film. Not just Marvel film. Probably my favorite comic book film okay. of the modern age. I, I'm not gonna say like you know, yeah, pre uh, pre 2010. I, I would say it's probably my favorite of the the modern era. In a rating out of uh, ten, Peter Parker spider webs, give it an eight and a half. Eight and a half. It's right. my it's my favorite of the Marvel films so far that I've seen. It's got the best blend of humor. Of storyline, um, I, I I I just can't. I mean, I don't know enough about the comic books 
particularly say like like how you said like how someone's like oh it's you know it's more like like the ultimate you're right universe i can't really make that judgment but to me i would say this is like a pretty good balance between what you'd expect from spider-man if you know anything about the comics like we do like a little bit you'd expect humor and action and it's got the most perfect blend as much as i love the original spider-man it's very it is brooding it's got comical moments but it is more brooding and more, you know, leaning towards the, oh, you know, um, ho-hum, you know, mm. what's going on. The, and I think this film does a great job of being action, suspense, humor, and you get every character in this film you can root for and get engaged in. His friends are annoying. His enemies you can hate. His, you know, so, like, you can, like, everything in this film really clicks the only thing I'd say that doesn't really click is, um, I don't really care for the whole, like, cyber, you know, cyberization of his suit, mm. of making it more like an Iron Man suit, like, he's right. got all these things, and it's yeah. like, that to me is like, man, no, I mean, I think that is, as your friend said, is more ultimate than regular Spider-Man. I don't like, I don't really care for the whole him having all that shit, that should be like, you know, Spider-Man shouldn't have all that shit, that should be more like an Iron Man type thing. Of having, like, I got surveillance cameras and this and that and drones and all this other shit. Um, so I hope in the future films they tone that down. You know, make it more about his power and him having to deal with his power and how to react in certain situations than him having, you know, a super suit. Because if he has a super suit, whether he has the powers or not, it doesn't really fucking matter. Because if he's got a super suit that can do all this stuff... It's not like his webbing is, like, from his superpowers. It's, the, you know, chemical. Right. You know. Yeah, it's a thing so, that he's designed. Yeah, so it's, you know, mitigates his, you know, his uniqueness. So, um, I hope they, I do hope they get away from that. Because otherwise, in that sense, it'll become more like, oh, yeah, he's just gonna... I know who gives a shit about his powers. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think some of my favorite moments are probably uh, Coach Wilson delivering that uh, that line about Captain America being a war criminal—it's pretty funny. Uh, Hannibal Buress. That's in great. Ge- in Chris, general, is just really just thinking about, about like how much money Chris Evans get pl- paid just to like, show up and be like, "All right, kids, I'm gonna tell you why having sex is wrong." Yeah, right. And, and, and it's know. like, and it's almost like Chris. I'm, I'm I'm assuming as soon as you got out of that pod, like some woman was already out of your dick. Yeah. Like like like. Yeah. Like. Oh my god, you got abs now and shit? Yeah! You know. Yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, Martin Starr is really good in this too as the teacher that's leading them to uh, their academic uh, competition. Uh, That delivery when he's talking to the newscast about them nearly dying in the Washington Monument, saying I wasn't going to lose another... Uh, I wasn't going to lose a, a student on a field trip, not again. It's a great delivery. It's a great del- dry moment that, that works really well. I think that Spider-Man Homecoming really works with those dry moments. Uh, and th- those are probably some of the funniest scenes that it's got. Uh, I would agree. I think I would give it an 8.5 out of 10. I think it's really solid. It's probably one of the best Marvel films that I've seen um, in terms of being both funny, action-packed, and really leveraging the length of time that it the film runs because this is a two hour and 15 minute affair and it doesn't really feel like it if it it feels pretty short in comparison um 
You know, I didn't look at my watch once throughout this. Night. No, exactly. And and I think it does a really good job of crafting a plot that does require that amount of time. So, um, in in that sense, you know, we we criticize a lot of superhero films because of their length and always constantly running over the two hour mark. But in this sense, it really does need that two hour and 15 minute running time to get to where it needs to go. And it's pretty important for this film. So I would say Spider-Man Homecoming is probably the most successful Marvel film that we've seen so far on the it podcast. Might, it might not be the biggest box office. No, no. But, but I, I would uh, no, I would But in terms of a review for this for the show, the one that we've seen from Marvel that's the best. Even even DC, I'd say this is the best. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, not since I think this is probably my favorite um uh, superhero film since Dark Knight. Yeah. And, and that's not something that we take lightly too because we in general you if you've listened to the show, you know that when we watch superhero movies, pretty much the consensus is yeah, it was all right. You know, it's pretty good. But in this it goes a lot farther than that. It it's definitely one of the best superhero films that we've covered on the show. Yeah. All right, so what do we got next week? I don't know, what are you thinking? I don't have uh, a film on hand right now. All right, I do that. You do? We'll do Dread. We're doing Dread. That's what I. That's what I figured. But <laughs> I we'll finally do Dread. It's on Blu-ray. I just saw it at Walmart. They have the 4K version. Ooh. Um, the 4K version. I'm not gonna buy it. I don't have a 4K TV. Yeah. But I mean, they got it now. That's so. That's nice. It's what like they had like a, a small rack of like 4K movies, and it's like, wow, out of all the 4K movies, gonna be promoting. Dread. 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 All right, yeah. So we're, so we're covering Dread for next week. I can't wait. It'll I be fun. It. I've never seen it. You better love it. If you don't love it, I'm going to hate you forever. I'll do my best. It's It'd be like if I saw Ma- if we saw Mad Max very early. Like, eh. You were like, uh, it's all right. Not, yeah. not me. I'm saying if it was you. Oh, if it was me. Oh. Okay. Well, Dread is I mean, next I mean, week. I mean, if it, if it was just me going, yeah, it's all right. Then I wouldn't suggest it. I like, wouldn't be like, let's go see that. True. Do you really? Who wants? Okay. No offense. And this is kind of kind of showing her hand. Who wants to fucking see a review of something that's yeah? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You either want somebody to praise something that you already and we're again showing our hand and like you know being like, hey, this is what people want. You either want people to you know say like, this is I why love it, and this is and so people can be aff- like affirmed like this is why something is great or like this is why something fucking sucks. Nah, I agree. And we yeah. need to, you know nobody wants to hear you know. A review how that's ma- middle of the road. How many are reviews of, like, you know, Ebert, like, of him, like, like hey, it's two and a four. Stars. Yeah, yeah. No, no one, that. Yeah. Yeah, People no, remember I... the shitty reviews and the good reviews. No, I agree. I agree. So we'll do Dread next week. I'll be very disappointed if you're just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, really? Not, and not Judge Dread. Not Judge Dread. The, the, the remake Dread. Yeah. Just Dread. Tom, um, Tom Hardy. That's right. <laughs> So you can no, 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 Tom Hardy, Carl Orban, my bad. <laughs> Fucking the new McCoy, not yeah, 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 the, yeah, new McCoy, bones, new bones. So you can find us the, on iTunes, Stitcher. Now that I think about it, Tom Hardy would play good dread if he wasn't locked up. For it like, would be good for like several different things. Of sh- you know, yeah, he would shit, be good. He'd be good dread. Continuing the thought, you can find us on Stitcher, iTunes. Any other podcast app that you normally use, we're on there. Leave us a review and subscribe to us. We really appreciate it. 
Uh, we're on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. You know, follow us, tweet us. We'll respond back to you. We promise. Uh, we're on Facebook. And also, we have a Facebook group, which I've been promoting quite a bit because it, it allows us to send you notifications. You can discuss the videos that we cover. You can discuss episodes. It's a really great, uh, you know, tool that we're using. So join our Facebook group. Um, it's on there. Search for us, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Uh, we have a, an email address, Podcast at gmail.com. Send us uh, any recommendations that you have. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. We'll probably feature you on the show as well. So we'll we'll give you a shout out. And finally, we have a Patreon. You can donate to us at patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. Um, any amount will do it for us. We really appreciate anything that you can generate and, and send our way. It just helps us run the show. So um, any monthly donation, we really, really appreciate Other than that, we will be back next week with our coverage of Dread. Thank you for listening to our Spider-Man Homecoming episode, and we hope to see you next time. Take care.